I think intuitively everybody knows that the current system we have is pretty broken, and that's on a, that's on an individual level. But on an institutional level, and what I mean by that is just on a sovereign government level, um, I think the the countries are trying to figure out what is the best path to take from here because clearly the U.S. dollar is on the way out and is losing power. And really, I think the a lot of what's happening with the the Russia Ukraine invasion is the is the East trying to kind of flex their economic power over the world and try to almost decouple from the U.S. dollar system. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Otto Gomes Crypto Show. My name is Otto Gomes, and today I have Brian Velez. This guy has gone above and beyond in research, schooling himself, and knowing the different layers of this reality when it comes to economics, um, uh, the Federal Reserve, the... Uh, U.S. Treasury, just the different layers that create the financial system. After finishing with a degree in applied mathematics and economics from Columbia University, Brian is now an investor, founder, and orchestrator to a digital asset fund called Netizen. Brian is a genius on global macroeconomics and is now bringing that expertise to the crypto space. And I am grateful for his wisdom and am excited to share that wisdom with all of you today. Ladies and gentlemen, Brian Velez. Ladies and gentlemen, Brian Velez. Did I say that right, Velez? Yeah, that's right. Thanks. Thanks for having me, Otto. Thank you. <laughs> Absolutely, brother. I, I thank you for your time, your energy, and literally... The, I'm sure you put so much hours, so much hours into writing that write-up that you send out on a monthly basis. Yeah, I mean, I, it, it used to take me probably like 20 hours. Uh, I do it every month. I, I come out with this letter, a public letter for my, just for my friends and family, just to kind of follow along. But I also accompany that with a private letter for my investors. And typically, it was taking me about 20 hours a couple months ago. But I'm getting it. I'm getting it down to maybe like 10 to 15. So. I'm getting a little bit better uh, organizing my thoughts, and but it's a good exercise for me to do, and I'm always happy to share the information as it comes into everybody. I love that, and I think that's like a truth about anything in this reality, right? Uh, you put in the hours, you put in the ten thousand hours of mastery. The time to get that thing done will get shorter and shorter. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that doesn't even go, include all the all the reading that goes behind it all, right? I'm, I'm usually sifting through a lot of signal and noise, and then. Kind of taking through the you know the high, the high level key points that I want to touch on during the letter. So just distilling all that information together, it, there's a lot more that goes behind on behind the scenes for sure. <laughs> so so let's get let's get into this journey of yours and um, you know how you got to this point where you're now you're you're focused on uh, economics, you're focused on um, trading, you're focused on on fund management, and now a little bit of crypto. So um, I just want to know your journey to this point, and specifically if you can hone in to the red pill moment that really shook you out of this freaking matrix. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so you kind of alluded to this in the beginning. So I studied applied math and economics at Columbia. I graduated in 2014. Uh, my first job out of that actually was uh, at, a, at a small hedge fund. So Xanthus Capital Management, we did like event driven, long, short equity trading, op equity options trading, um, really interesting stuff. So like we, we'd work pretty long hours. We'd get into the office super early especially during earnings season. So, you know, earnings came out for companies. We'd be trading around that. If there was a merger or acquisition, we would trade that. Or if there was a pre-announcement, that sort of stuff. 
So very event driven. Um, that's actually kind of where I first discovered, uh, or I, I got my first taste of Bitcoin and in terms of just kind of its relation to the economy, because we would always be on these Fed meetings, every, you know, every six weeks, the Fed's having this meeting, we would always go through the Fed minutes and, and kind of tie that into markets. But I actually was first introduced to Bitcoin in 2013 um, through one of my classmates, actually, at the time. And at the time, I was you know 20 years old. So uh, I, I saw the white paper, but I, I looked over it. It didn't really kind of stick with me. But then once I saw it again back in 2016, 2017, it really started clicking. I was like, oh, shit, like this whole thing uh, is actually really relevant to what's happening in the economy. Because at the time, we we're coming out of 2008. Um, quantitative easing was on the rise. People were, were starting to print more money. And I was kind of starting to tie it together and say, oh, wow, you know, the current monetary system we have right now is fundamentally broken. And Bitcoin is a potential solution at the time. But uh, obviously, over now, I think it is the solution. But um, yeah, it's been a long journey. And I've been in the space now for probably six, seven years, um, trying to trying to red pill or orange pill my my entire friend and family base and even my my coworkers and everything. Um, I'm sure a lot of them are probably looking back and like, damn, I probably should have listened to Brian back then. But I think it's there's still time for many people to get involved. So I don't think that the ship has sailed quite yet. It's funny. It's like if if I had a dime for every person that came to me now and go, man, I should have listened to you. I wouldn't need crypto. <laughs> I'd, I'd be rich. Hundred <laughs> <100%. laughs> percent. Uh, I can definitely relate to your story a lot. I my my whole journey started like 2013 as well. And uh, but I I think as I had my I had an accounting background and my my dad's a, like really into math and just that was always part of my, my family i quickly picked up on the the white paper and went into it yeah but, but anyway um i that's a great story that's a i mean that's uh you know it, it brought you at least gave you the awareness early you, you got the awareness early on early on enough to now create what you've created so so what kind of drove you into the direction of creating your own fund and and working towards that direction yeah. So just to kind of wrap up my story. So, you know, I worked initially at this hedge fund for a little bit. Um, it was about 10 of us who were managing about, you know, around 50, a little over $50 million at the time. Um, I left that though, to work at an investment bank. So I left to be a, a research analyst. So I worked at Cowan and Company. I covered beverages, tobacco, and cannabis as equity research analysts. So if you ever watch CNBC, when they're saying, hey, Apple's a buy or, you know, Google's a sell, like, that my boss was the one going on TV, making those calls. And I was behind the scenes writing those reports. Um, so actually seeing that kind of how the sell side works in financial markets was really, really interesting and eye-opening to me. Uh, you just realize that it's a lot of marketing and it's a lot of um, uh, bullshit to kind of uh, put it politely. Um, you know, a lot of people are making money off of the institutionalization of finance. And what I mean by that is there's a lot of, you know, raising money for companies, we're trying to IPO them and we're trying to find investors who have way too much money to know what to do with it, to put money into these companies. So at the time uh, when I was when I was working there in 2017, 2018, uh, we actually uh, IPO'd some of the first Canadian cannabis companies. So there was so much interest in, and cannabis is a good analog to crypto because very, very much retail driven. There's a lot of hype around it. A lot of people want to get involved, but don't know necessarily how to get involved. Meanwhile, you have these institutional funds who are really trying to allocate millions, if not billions of dollars into this, into the industry, because, you know, they're just, this is just money trying to chase opportunity. Right. And you see the same thing in crypto also. Um, but it was interesting kind of getting that point of view, but sitting in that chair as a research analyst, I saw these guys making a lot of money. And meanwhile, I was kind of, uh, kind of the weatherman, so to speak, kind of saying, oh, you know, next quarter, uh, earnings are going to be up or down. And you know, this is a buy rating. This is a sell rating. I actually wanted to be in the trenches and actually operating a company. And so 
that kind of led me to, to leave eventually uh, from working at Cowan. I learned a lot, obviously, there. Um, but I ended up starting up my own business. So I actually own and operate a gym in Brooklyn, New York. So that's kind of like a passion project for me. I've been an athlete my whole life. Um, but I've never lost love for the financial markets. I just wanted to work for myself. And so I'd always been continue, I continued following the markets a lot. And during March 2020, during COVID, we got this, when we got shut down, I really started leaning a lot more into following the markets, following the global economy, and just kind of leveraging a lot of the information that I learned over the past you know, decade into kind of what, what should I be doing for my family and myself in terms of investments. And so that really started fo- getting me focused on putting out more content around crypto, creating more, uh, uh, more content around the economy, what's going on, and kind of where we're headed. And that eventually kind of snowballed into people reaching out to me to invest on behalf of them. And so now at this point, I have about 50 investors, just family and friends funds, kind of starting small, uh, but just trying to prove myself and, and see what I can do with managing some money now. See, what I love about you, Brian, is that uh, you have that entrepreneurial bone in you, uh, you know, that entrepreneurial itch. And so that, that to me is, the, you know, there's like a, there's almost like a, um, a weird perspective towards entrepreneurs nowadays. Like, oh, if you just want to make a buck. You just want to make money. You're just trying to, you're just trying to push a product. It's like, what are they doing? <laughs> what, what, what kind of world are we living in if we're not pursuing the things that bring us joy and, 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 and you know, the, the passions that we want to pursue if we're not doing that for ourselves as well? You know, entrepreneurship, in my opinion, that's true capitalism. You know, that's the real way that we should be going, not this distorted pretty much socialistic, uh, uh, situation that we're moving towards right now, this tyranny, tyrannical socialistic situation. It's so weird, such a weird time to live in. Um, but I love, like I said, I love that perspective of yours and I love that you have it in you to now speak out and to act like actually put out content about that. And I, and I know that you started with your letter and you're trying to grow that out and get more people, more eyes on it because, and I, and I support you. I support you because that that write up, it's it's like a it's like you write a little mini book every month. <laughs> <laughs> so so let's let's go a little bit into that into like the current situation, the current markets right now, and what's happening. I've been seeing a lot of conversation around. You know, are we going towards major inflation, like hyperinflation? Um, I've seen recently some tweets about 401ks losing 10 to 30% in the last couple of years. So what, what is going on? <laughs> Help. <laughs> yeah. So it's, um, I'll, I'll try to start as high level as possible, but this is such a nuanced conversation that we could really go in a lot of different directions. Sure. Um, I think in terms of just, there's been a proliferation of passive investing over the past kind of decade, I would say. Um, where people just kind of lock their money into a 401k. Um, and that's really kind of pushed through uh, corporations. And that's a whole different story because before corporations offered 401ks, they used to do offer pension plans, which they've gotten rid of. And actually, a pension plan is probably a better way to offer retirements for people. But now we've tethered people's retirements to the stock market, which was a, an intentional thing that was done many decades ago. But I don't want to drive too, too deep into that. But um, Let's not yeah, go I mean, down that rabbit hole, but it yeah, is a rabbit hole. <laughs> it is a definite rabbit hole I think people need to consider, right? And I think you know, the standard wisdom for what to do with your retirement money is to, hey, just you know, put your money into a 401k. It's kind of this forced savings vehicle, but people don't really think about what they own, right? And a, the problem is that a lot of people, a lot of 401ks, unfortunately, because you do have limited options with what you can purchase, 
they all gravitate towards the same stuff, right? And you're 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 all everybody in a, who owns a 401k owns Facebook, Amazon, Apple, Netflix, Google, Meta. You know, it's you, the you safe the, bets. The, the, it's the, the safe, safe bets, bets, right? And it's funny because if you kind of even if you pull up a chart right now of uh, I think Google or Facebook are good examples of this. I think they're down 30, 40 percent uh, over the past six months. And you know, you always it's funny you have um, the SEC always coming out trying to protect investors. But they don't. They don't. They don't say anything whenever these stocks are down 40, 50 percent, and you wonder why these stocks were up that much to begin with. And, and the reality is, if you just plot any stock, the S and P 500 across M, uh, against M2 money supply, which is the money supply printed by the Federal Reserve, it, they're in lockstep, right? And so the reason why the the stock market everything goes up until it doesn't is because for the past 10 years we've just been pumping unreal, obscene amounts of money into the economy. And we saw this with COVID again, right? In March 2020, I think the market was down about 35%. And uh, you know, over the past couple of years, we pumped in about $4 trillion into the into the federal balance sheet, which is now about $9 trillion. So we basically- It's like what, 20, 20% increase? You know, in the last it's, couple it's about 40, 50% basically oh, for, over 40, the last two years. Oh whoa! Is, I was I've been I've been I've been saying twenty percent, so I was way off. Holy yeah! So it's it's an insane amount of money we pumped into the economy, and and that goes through. You know, when we do quantitative easing, people don't understand that money is really going through the bond market. But when you distort the bond market, right? So as the as the Fed continues buying U.S. Treasuries, that causes yields to go down. That actually makes it more attractive for risk assets to be purchased. So risk assets are stocks, right? So any tech stock, as bonds are being purchased by the Fed, you know there's an indiscriminate buyer there. People are just going to keep going down further and further out on the risk spectrum. They start buying tech stocks. They start buying ARK. Uh, they start buying crypto. And they think they're geniuses because these things just go up and up and up. But the real driver of that is honestly Fed monetary intervention. right? And so now we're kind of seeing the opposite of that happen, where last November, the Federal Reserve, because of inflation being near high single digits, the Federal Reserve is now saying, okay, we need to fight inflation as a, as a key priority instead of keeping the stock market inflated, right? And so we've kind of seen this really big uh, regime change within the Federal Reserve. And this is also a political thing as well, right? Because we do have the uh, midterm elections coming up in November. Obviously, the Biden administration, the biggest pressure they're receiving is that in consumer price inflation is very high, right? And so the one way you can fight inflation is by killing demand. And so that's really what the Federal Reserve is trying to do. And that's what they've said they're going to do over the coming months is uh, they're going to be raising interest rates and they're also going to be tightening the balance sheet. So actually, instead of stop, instead of buying uh, uh, instead of buying U.S. Treasuries through quantitative easing, they're doing what's called quantitative tightening, which is just rolling off U.S. Treasuries off their balance sheet, which that causes more problems down the line. But this is all to say that the, the, the Federal Reserve and politicians, although they won't say it, they do want the uh, they do want the stock market to go down because a lot of inflation and, and the wealth effect they they're really looking for the negative wealth effect which is when the stock market goes down people feel less rich so they're less likely to consume and so that means demand goes down and that, therefore inflation comes down so we're kind of you know for the past ten years the the old mantra has been don't fight the Fed and that was on the way up but now we're kind of seeing this this like one eighty reversal uh, starting six months ago where it's you know don't fight the Fed they're taking liquidity out of the markets. They they want the market to go down, and you know earnings are going to come down from there, and then you know growth is going to start slowing down. Inflation will eventually come down. Um, but you know I think a lot of investors aren't prepared for that because for so long we've kind of just been reflexively trained to buy the dip every time every time the market's down, right? And you know last my last letter I actually came out with a couple of weeks ago 
was specifically called don't fight the fed or uh, yeah, don't, or don't, bite, bite, the don't dip. buy the dip yet. Don't buy the dip yet. <laughs> um, because I do think there is way more pain to come and the federal reserve is not going to bail us out just yet. They, I think they are going to come in at some point uh, within the next couple of months, probably before the end of the year. But you know, in the next couple of months, I think we're going to probably see a lot more pain um, in, in the stock market before you know they, they come to the rescue and print some more money. Now, I have a question specifically around stablecoins. Um, back in November, I don't know if you're aware of all of this, and so I'm, I'll just share some of it. But back in November, there was a, a report that came out from the U.S. government. It was like a combination of three departments, I think, and um, all to do all around the Federal Reserve to talk about stablecoins and. Basically, I kind of went through it and it's like, this is a threat. We need to regulate it, <laughs> basically, is what they said in this report. And since then, I have noticed a massive increase in uh, not only the scrutiny of the government around stablecoins and the conversations now being centered around stablecoins, but stablecoin projects popping up, a lot of stablecoin projects popping up. And I even saw this tweet recently that said that... that um, um, stable coins are one of the largest Achilles heel of the crypto ecosystem for a lot of reasons. So, and then on top of that, you have also the announcement of last year of the Federal Reserve announcing CBDC, the central bank digital currency. So what's going on here? Um, do you think that these plans that they're coming up with, you know, quanti quantitative tightening and all these things to bring down inflation does that have to do these plans that they're announcing? Does it also have to do with with all of this stable coin conversation? Yeah, I mean, it, I think it does, right? You got to realize the, the the fundamental problem that we're all kind of dealing with here is that we are in the middle of a global sovereign debt crisis. And what I mean by that is that governments are bankrupt across the world, and currencies are failing across the world, whether we see the see it or not, right? And when I say currencies are failing, I really what I mean is that. We are approaching the end of the U.S. dollar system as we know it, which was really established in 1945 after World War II with Bretton Woods. But then we broke off the gold standard in 1971, but the U.S. dollar still retained you know, its uh, power over the other fiat currencies. But that system is unwinding very quickly. And I think you know, the introduction of a central bank digital currency or even a stable coin. I mean, stable coins are seen as threats to fiat money, right? I mean, these are these are alternatives to U.S. dollars, and every stable coin is pegged to the U.S. dollar, right? It's not you don't see like a stable coin euro. Um, it's the U.S. dollar because that's how this that's the system we have set up. Um, so I think you know if you think about where you know this current system, the current monetary system we have is with the U.S. dollar at the center of the world. Obviously, China and Russia with the with the or, or Russia with the recent invasion of Ukraine, they're trying to challenge the status quo. And China would love nothing more than to topple the the Western regime uh, of the Western monetary system. So you're kind of starting to see this bifurcation between the West and the East. And then in terms of regulator uh, regulators, what they're trying to do is China has been very very pro CBDC. They're trying to come out with their own Chinese central bank digital currency, the digital yuan, mm -hmm. uh, which I think they're already testing out in some local provinces already. Yeah, I, I read that, that too. That they're already starting yeah, to so start it. They're very they're very ahead of ahead of the curve on this because you got to realize China is also a uh, control and order economy, right? It's uh, it's a state run capitalist country or state state. What's it? They call it state. It's state run capitalism, but it's really you know, social capitalism, whatever you want to call it. Um, they it's, communism. Local, it's, it's communism <laughs> wrapped, wrapped with the with with pretty bow. Capitalism. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so, you know, it's in their best interest to have a, a central bank digital currency. I think it's interesting that the United States has been pretty slow to develop one because I do think that there is a lot of um, 
there there is a lot of uh, hesitation and caution around the central bank digital currency because, I mean, just think of it logically. I mean, who who wants a bank account directly with the Federal Reserve? I mean, where does this end? Are we going to start getting direct stimulus payments from the Fed? Um, are, are, oh. are, are is Citibank and Chase going to be disintermediated as your as your banking relationship? Right, like. Yeah, they can start doing selective monetary policy where they, you know, if you're younger, you start getting more stimulus. If you get, if you're older, you get lower, less stimulus. Like it, it kind of opens up a can of worms of opportunities. And I think that's why China is so adamant on pushing a, a central bank digital currency because they do want to control their population and tell you what you can and can't spend your money on. And so, you know, in a positive note, the US has been, you know, pretty slow at developing a CBDC. Um, the Federal Reserve also came out with a paper earlier this year kind of weighing the pros and cons of a central bank digital currency. And it was pretty inconclusive. They they weren't sure, they, they, the, the major conclusion they came out with the paper was they weren't sure if a central bank digital currency would cause more risks than positives, right? Which I think is good on the margin. Um, and you would hopefully expect that from a, a quote unquote free, free thinking country. Um, but yeah. <laughs> So I don't know if you saw on the news recently. I want to sh- I want to share this video right now with you. I don't know if you saw it, but um, they gave they're giving so much power to the Federal Reserve. It's not even funny. So look at this. Yeah, audio on this. It's not playing. Oh, is there no audio? Was the audio not coming through? And I, I'm not hearing it. Oh, I'm gonna have to add this video later. Okay. So she's saying, she's basically saying, I don't know how to, it's Zoom. I don't know how to do this. (laughs) So she's basically saying that like, uh, because somebody asked asked her about, you know, the uh, inflation and just with the Federal Reserve and and going like, hey, what are you going to do about it? And they're like, well, she she actually says, she says, well, you know, the the, the chair to the reserve, the reserve chair, basically they they make their own policies and we kind of like, we kind of just adjust to their policies, whatever they want to do. And it's like, what are you talking about? (laughs) <laughs> what are you yeah. talking about? That's a private organization you guys are giving so much power to. So what you're saying is interesting because it's it's true. It's like what what are we doing here? Are we are we is another daddy, another daddy government? Yeah, I mean, I, I you know, the, the way the way politicians or the way the White House uh phrases uh inflation is is really really disingenuous and it's really frustrating as somebody who studies this pretty much 24/7. Um, I, I think I saw the speaker being asked uh, earlier about, I think she was trying to blame inflation on, on the Putin price hike. And inflation was beginning way before Russia invaded Ukraine, right? Um, yeah, supply chain disruptions are happening because of Ukraine. And that's, you know, that's that's affecting the oil and gas market and also the agriculture markets. And that's going to obviously trickle into the rest of the economy. But these issues were already happening pre, pre-Putin's war, right? And so, you know, I think uh, I also saw a tweet recently about, uh, Biden, Biden said that uh, the inflation was a function of uh, the way we fight inflation is by making the uh, top one percent of corporations pay their fair share. And I think Jeff Bezos replied back like this is absolute nonsense. Like we don't have first off taxing corporations more money is not going to fight inflation. Yes, we should probably do it, honestly. Right. I think we should 100 percent tax corporations more, but that's not going to solve inflation at all. So it's just there are a lot of narratives coming out of the White House. And I think it really confuses a lot of people because 
most people just generally don't understand what money is in the first place and don't understand are never taught anything about basic economics. And so these are really, really tough, complicated issues to kind of parse through. And so, you know, when you have kind of this overlord government kind of explaining or telling you what to think about that, you know, it really kind of muddies the water from, you know, truth, uh, unfortunately. You know, you mentioned earlier about the <clears throat> this this kind of fight that's happening right between the eastern markets western markets china and the us here with this shift into digital currency um do you think this fight because i i you know you mentioned that like the us is behind we're behind in creating this digital currency so do you think that there is some sort of fight happening right now you know this is a massive uh metaphorical fight i guess you can you can layer it as uh, between old centralized money, old, old centralized systems to these, this new decentralized way, because I'm, I'm, it's, <laughs> I'm, just, I'm speaking from just my own perspective. It just seems like the narratives are so they're like, conf, they're, they're conflicting with each other. Like these massive, these leaders in these industries are conflicting with each other, which has never happened before. So what, what do you think is going on right now? Yeah. I mean, I think that, I think the principles that that Bitcoin gives, you know, de being decentralized, uncorruptible, scarce money. I think, in general, everyone agrees with it. I think the problem is on the, from the Western side, you know, the U.S. the U.S. wants to maintain its dominance over the dollar system, right? And so, any loss of the U.S. dollar as the world the global reserve currency is seen as U.S. weakness. AKA, that's an opportunity for the East to make a move to have. Uh, a better or a greater kind of global uh, influence on the economy. And so I think intuitively everybody knows that the current system we have is pretty broken and that's on, a, that's on an individual level, but on an institutional level, and what I mean by that is just on a sovereign government level, um, I think the, the countries are trying to figure out what is the best path to take from here because clearly the US dollar is on the way out and is losing power. And really I think the a lot of what's happening with the, the Russia-Ukraine invasion is the is the east trying to kind of flex their economic power over the world and try to almost decouple from the us dollar system so actually what you're seeing is in russia they're they're unwilling to they're only willing to trade oil and gas with europe in exchange for rubles and so that's the russian ruble and so and and really they're trying they're trying to defend their currency by but once they purchase once they trade their oil and gas for rubles they're turning around and buying gold back so they're trying to they're trying to back their currency with gold and China has done stuff like this in the past as well. Um, and so I think there is there could be a potential move towards a commodity-backed currency in the future, right? The, the current way we have it is basically we have a trust-based system for currency with the US dollar. We just people just accept the, the US dollar as the global reserve currency because it's backed by the full faith and credit of the US economy and also the US military. But that's breaking apart, right? And so I think the Eastern powers are trying to figure out a way to back their currencies with commodities because Russia is one of the largest uh, net ex energy exporters of the world. And, and the reality is, you know, in a world where money is infinite, uh, commodities become the value of commodities, which are scarce, become infinite, right? Because we can't print oil and gas. We can't print precious metals. We can't print wheat, corn, soybeans. These things have to be grown. These, these are real, real products that are created in the economy that require energy to create them. And so I think you're starting to see this kind of bifurcation between both economies. And, you know, I actually think it would be a really a, a really good strategic move if the U.S. did adopt Bitcoin, because the Bitcoin network is backed by electricity, right, backed by these miners. And 
a lot of energy companies in the U.S. could use their excess energy to mine for Bitcoin. And so basically, you're, you're secure. Basically, what Bitcoin is is uh, you know energy backed current scarce, perfectly scarce currency that's privatized, right? And I think that's kind of the the movement that we need to make towards. But you know. We'll see how this thing unfolds. I think over time, there's going to be more interest in, in Bitcoin and, and, and even other cryptocurrencies as a way to uh, kind of break away from the, the old system. But, you know, time will tell who's going to be more crypto friendly in the future. So far, it's been the U.S., but, um, you know, I'll, I'll hold my breath until it's actually happening. <laughs> <laughs> well, then you're probably, you're probably going to die <laughs> from holding your breath. I'm just kidding. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I it's such a weird time that we're living in, man, because you know, you see the, you see now these governments doing like, I've been in the space in the crypto space for almost a decade. And back then I remember thinking like, because everybody was coming at me like, you're crazy. This is magic internet money. What are you doing? And now I'm seeing like governments shifting their whole ecosystems into this thing. And I'm like, Whoa, Whoa, it's really happening. Like things are moving. And recently there was this chart that went around. It got, became a little viral um, not as much as I'd like it to be viral, but I had it checked. I wanted to make sure that it was a real chart and the math was sound. I, I had a, a mathematician friend. I don't know if you've ever seen him on Instagram, Robert Edward Grant. He's really yeah. into, yeah, he's really into like universal or, um, uh, 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 fractal geometry, that kind of math, like universal math, sure. universe math, and then, uh, cryptography, cryptography specifically. He actually even created a whole, um, project, a whole crypto project. And it's a, a, a quantum resistant uh, blockchain. I don't know. He's a mathematician, so I, I trust him. But he checked this chart and he said, actually, not just for the fiat. That's all he said to me. So I'll show you what the chart is. Essentially, it's somebody created a chart and it, cor- it showed a correlation between the inflation rate of fiat, just dollars, to the deflation rate of Bitcoin, just Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. And the time, you know, there's a, there's a chart. The time frame, essentially, that. Uh, let me just show you the chart. I think it's better for just showing the chart because yeah, it's, sure. it's complicated. I'm trying to explain something that I don't really fully understand myself. So that's why I wanted to show you to see um, what your thoughts were. And, and luckily, this one doesn't require any audio. All right. So, oops, sorry. All right. So yep. if we look here. This is uh, they called it a uh, Bitcoin stock to FOMO hyperbolic model, and essentially. Um, it gave us. It gives us a date. If you look here, it says, due to the forever rising value of Bitcoin and the forever declining value of fiat, there will be a day after which no one will exchange even a single Satoshi for any amount of fiat. This model predicts May 21st, 2029. And this is obviously, yeah, he said, he said like, if nothing changes, if nothing changes, sure. if they don't do anything, this is, this is where we're going. This is what's going to happen. Sure. So what are your thoughts? I mean, I think there's 100% truth to this, right? Because at, at some point, we are going to have to print money again, right? And if, you, if you're if you just looking at history, every time we've printed money, <clears throat> every, time we've, every time we've printed money, we've always printed more. So, you know, back in 2008, the global financial crisis, the TARP deal that they passed to, to bail out the banks was $700 billion. Um, the, to come out of COVID, it was about $4 trillion. And so, you know, one could... Well, I suspect that uh, you know when we come out of this next recession and, and the and the Fed is forced to pivot on monetary policy globally, I think we're going to probably print more than five trillion dollars again. So kind of begs the question: It's like, yeah, this is a cyclical thing that's happening with tightening and easing of monetary policy, but at some point we're we are de- we're devaluing our money at an exponential rate, 
right? And, you know, again, to my point earlier, you know, in a world where money is infinite, the value of scarce assets goes to infinity because you can't print some of these things, right? You can't print more Bitcoin. You can't print more oil and gas. You can't print more food and agriculture. And so these things are going to unfortunately inflate in value. And that's going to cause a lot of pain for people. Um, but it, it's almost a mathematical certainty. Unfortunately, people still have not wrapped their heads around that. And I do think, you know, just uh, off the top of my head, I mean, I, I do think the next decade is going to be pretty, uh, pretty, pretty alarming for people. I mean, I think we are going through this fourth turning and we are going to see a, a massive economic reset or socially, politically and also economically this massive re global reset and reordering of the world over the next decade. And I think Bitcoin is going to be a big part of it because people are inevitably going to lose faith in government currencies. And I mean, you just 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 look at the news. I mean, the, the amount of distrust in centralized institutions continues to grow by the year and for very good reason, too. Right. You can't just continue to blindly tr trust in people who clearly don't have your best intentions at heart. Oh, yeah. And uh, again, the last two years could not have been more clear about that. <laughs> like well, of the of the direction we there we are moving towards if we keep up the pace. Man, this weird times, yeah. weird times. Um, things are volatile, things are moving, things are shifting. So what would you say is the best route for the person here listening that, you know, what's what's the best decision that they can make? Let's say it's just somebody that is in there. 50. I mean, you know, the younger generation, I think, I think they can figure it out. I'm, I'm really worried about the older generation, the ones that have normalized and, and gotten used to, and when I say older 30 and above, it's not that much sure. older, um, that have gotten used to and normalize that old system. And they're so wrapped up in their daily lives that they're not, they're not looking at this stuff. They're not, they're not, you know, consciously thinking about the next 10 years. They're looking at the next six months. So what would you recommend for these people that are listening that have started to get this awareness and going, okay, I need to, I need to shift some stuff here. Yeah. I mean, in terms of this, uh, I'll kind of break it through short term and kind of long term. in terms of short term, and I would kind of consider that probably the next six to 12 months, we are probably headed for a recession. I think it's almost a certainty at this point. It's just how the, the cards are going to unfold over the I would agree. quarters and months. Um, you know, the Fed is tightening monetary policy. Your, your 401ks, your stock market accounts, your brokerage accounts, your crypto accounts, those are all going to go down, right? So it actually, ironically, at a time where inflation is over 8% per year, it's actually a probably a good time to actually own cash instead of owning stocks. Because even despite owning, even despite the inflation, you are going to protect your, your uh, purchasing power on a relative basis. And really what I'm waiting for on my end in, term, in terms of the fund and investing is I'm waiting for the Fed to turn and pivot on monetary policy. And I, what I mean by that is I want them to start cutting interest rates again. I want them to start doing quantitative easing again. And that will be my signal that the money printers are turned back on. And that's when I'll go balls in all along on everything, all along crypto, all along tech, all the all these nice names that people like to have, like ARK and, and such. Um, so I think there's a I think there's a timing aspect to it that a lot of people don't need don't want to follow because it's just too confusing to follow. Um, but I, I do think that there's going to be a lot of weakness in the markets over the coming six to 12 months. Obviously, it depends on what the Fed does. And once they intervene, that'll be the kind of the buy signal for you. And hopefully that'll happen when there's enough pain, but it's not quite yet. There's there's definitely still more downside from here. And then just on a practical note, if you don't if you don't want to worry about timing or anything, I think the safest thing you could do probably is to start allocating some percentage of your savings or budget to purchasing Bitcoin on a recurring basis. So dollar cost averaging into Bitcoin, especially right now where 
Bitcoin is, I think, around $30,000 today. I mean, these are just 10 years from now, you're going to look back in time and you're going to tell people that I bought Bitcoin at 30K and they're going to look at you like you're crazy because it's now trading at a million dollars. And so mm -hmm. I, I know people, you know, think that's a pie in the sky number. It's actually not. Um, a lot of this is based off of, you know, that even that chart you showed. That, I was going to say that chart, <laughs> that chart shows that in two years, it's going to be um, in the, in the uh, 10 to 20 millions in two years. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it's crazy, I but. I think that's pretty aggressive. I mean, in terms of the, the original model that that was based off was called stock to flow. And right. so what stock to flow does is stock to flow looks at, um, this is used in commodity markets. That's how uh, you determine if, uh, if how, how much of a commodity is produced per year. And so like the, the stock to flow for gold is about 50 to 60, which means that every 50 years, the, 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 the quantity of gold in the world doubles, right? So uh, eventually over time, Bitcoin stock to flow is going to go to infinity. So it's never going to double at some point because it's just such a scarce asset, right? The, the global supply of gold increases by 2% a year. So after 50 years, you double. Um, but what's really beautiful about Bitcoin, the way it was designed is that at some point it's going to go to infinity, which means that's going to be infinitely scarce versus a fiat currency that has infinite supply. And so if you just do the math on that, that this, that's why people always have this uh, 21 million divided by infinity basically the, the price of Bitcoin is going to the moon, right? Um, and so I <laughs> yeah. think we just need to kind of think about, uh, we got to put this into a historical perspective too, right? Every fiat currency in the world has devalued against real assets since the beginning of time, right? The, a lot of people don't know this, but in the 1600s, the Dutch guilder was the global reserve currency of the world. The Dutch actually created the first stock exchange in the world in the 1600s. And they had the Dutch East India Company, and they were kind of the, the largest company at the time. From there, you had the uh, the Great Britain with the British pound. That was the global reserve currency for a while when the U.S. was trying to become a colony. And then obviously it became the United States dollar after that during World War II. These things rise and fall, right? There's a cyclical nature that happens over centuries. In it's like, um, it's like 90, 90 to 100 years or something that they last? 90 to 110 typically, years? It's typically about like around 100 years, right? And so you know we're, we're nearing the end of the U.S. dollar uh, dominance, right? And so- we are going to transition to a new commodity or, or to a new currency at some point. The question is, what is it going to be? Is it going to be another fiat cent uh, centrally planned currency, or is it going to use and leverage technology and cryptography to deliver something to people that's a little bit more fair and honestly better for society? So obviously, that's a big power struggle between the powers that exist and the powers that will become in the future. Um, but I, I am optimistic, and I, I do think uh, eventually over time the truth will prevail because there's. There's a lot of young people who are pushing for Bitcoin to be adopted. You're starting to see other nations adopt Bitcoin, even other small nations like El Salvador or some small countries in Africa. But you know the momentum is really building up. And you know to think that Bitcoin is legal tender in a country after 13 years of its existence. I mean, back in 2009, they probably never Satoshi probably never expected that to even happen in such a short time frame, right? So I think we just underestimate what can happen over time. Um, and I think the next decade is going to be just as explosive for people. Oh, I agree. I agree so much. <laughs> and I, and I, and I agree, man, it's, it's the, the shift, the transition to the, these types of systems are, are, that's why I said what I said in the beginning, because it was only, it was less than 10 years ago that I was like, oh, this is, this could do it. But I was not, and couldn't even imagine that in a decade from that point, we'd be, uh, countries would be adopting it. I mean, that is just- Yeah, we've mind. came so far. So, so far. Yeah. Um, you know, and it's funny because like there is, there ha like I said in the beginning, there, ha there has been a shift, a hyper-focus towards stable coins and the creation of that. 
And one of the ways that they're, in my opinion, is that they're, they're just creating these new products. They're testing them out. They're putting them out into the world and seeing what happens. And um, one of the ways that they're backing, you know, creating a, a, a stable coin that's backed by something for that, that representation is uh, algorithmic pegging is what they call it. But it's when you sure. use an algorithm, right? You use a blockchain to keep uh, the value of that currency or the, 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 the pegging or the one-to-one -one ratio to the dollar above or at that specific point. So it's interesting that like they're testing these out. Uh, there was a swan event that just happened with one of the projects, Luna UST, UST was a stable coin. And, and just in my opinion, it was a, an attack and it kind of was like a, 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 a stress test of one of their products and it failed, which is fine, right? Because at the, at the end of the day for them, they're looking at the bigger picture going, okay, well that failed. Let's, let's try something different that is going to incorporate this, this, whatever, but it, it's cool. Like we're, we're in a point right now where we're blockchain, right? The idea of blockchain or that concept is being massaged. Like we're like, mm -hmm. let's try this out and see what it is. Now, here's my question to you. Do you see true sovereignty on those levels moving forward though? Or is it, are they just going to perpetuate the same old bullshit system on the blockchain? I think it's a, I think it's going to be a, a very slow transition, right? You know, the first thing I tell people is if you own Bitcoin, store, you know, self-custody, right? Have it on your own hardware wallet. Don't keep it on an exchange like Coinbase or Gemini um, because, you know, even Coinbase came out with their 10Q a couple of weeks ago. And they said that if they encountered bankruptcy, that you're technically considered a general creditor, which means that they could seize all of your crypto assets from you uh, in, in the case of a bankruptcy, which is a huge red flag. I mean, imagine if Chase or Citibank were to do that with your checking account. I mean, people would be absolutely up in arms. Um, so I do think it's going to be a, a massive transition a lot of education that needs to be put into the, you know, the given to people about, you know, the 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 pros and cons of this. I mean, just speaking real quickly about the Terra U.S. stable issue. I mean, the algorithmic stablecoin. You people have to realize these are experiments. A lot of the stuff that's going on in crypto are still experiments. You know, the intention is good behind it. I just think that the execution can be, you know, can have issues occasionally. And so, you know, with the algorithmic stablecoin, what they were doing essentially was. They were backing the value of U.S. Terra, which is the stable coin, by having collateral of Luna, Bitcoin, Avalanche, and a couple other cryptocurrencies. And that works in a bull market, but it doesn't work in a bear market because it, the value of your collateral goes down. People start redeeming their U.S. Terra. You start having what's called a bank run, right? And so this is what happened. And then they, now they become four sellers of Bitcoin, Luna, and, and Avalanche. And that's why you saw a lot of carnage across crypto markets over the past couple of weeks. And obviously, it, you know, UST depegged, and I think people lost about forty to sixty billion dollars of, of of real money. I mean, that's really unfortunate, right? But I think people need to understand that when they're getting involved in these protocols, that there are a lot of experiments that are going on. I'll tell you, the one experiment that hasn't failed yet is Bitcoin, right? Ah. There's nothing inherently <laughs> wrong with Bitcoin. Uh, it's been going on for thirteen years, and trust me, China's tried to attack it by you know getting rid of all their miners. They haven't had a good. They haven't been able to do it. So. You know, if there was one crypto I could own, it would be Bitcoin. And then what I would say to people is if you're interested in looking at other things and experimenting with it, understand that this is still very much in the alpha and beta versions of them, right? You can lose money. And so I don't want people to just get, and I think there's a lot of innovation that's going on and it's incredibly exciting. And it makes me really optimistic about the future of money and finance. But again, like you, you have to, you have to realize that, 
you know, there are going to be uh, missteps during this whole process. And, you know, just don't put all your eggs in one basket. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. Diversify it all as much as you can. Well, not a lot, right? You want to be in control of your diversification. <laughs> sure. I, that, that was my issue. I diversified too much. And I'm like, I have 34 assets. I don't know what to do. <laughs> yeah, I would uh, say, um, yeah, it's funny. Uh, Ray Dalio, uh, the CIO of Bridgewater, founder and CIO of Bridgewater, he, he, came, he came up with this term called the, the holy grail allocation. And basically it's 10 to 20, 20, 10 to 20 assets is all you need to own. Don't overthink it, right? Um, I, I think there is a lot of value to be diversified in terms of protecting wealth, but there is also a huge benefit to concentrating your investments to generate wealth, right? And sometimes, you know, listen, Bitcoin is by far the largest percentage of my net worth. And uh, I'm going to keep it that way until, you know, it reaches a certain level where I feel like I can diversify my wealth. But you know, I think there's a nice balance with it. And it's like, you don't need to own a million things under the sun, own things that you understand, that you trust, that you've done research on, that you feel comfortable owning. Even if it's down 20, 30%, you know what you own. Like less than Bitcoin's down over 50% from its all-time highs. I'm not sweating. I'm buying a little bit more. I'm still waiting for it to come down so I can buy more. But at the end of the day, I know what I own. Unlike something like Luna, where it's like you went from $100 a coin to basically a sub penny in like a couple of weeks. And you know, there's just, you it was like five days. It was like five days. It was insane. <laughs> yeah. It was, it, it was, uh, I, I was, I've never seen, I've point. never so seen, huh? <laughs> I, we were actually short during that movement. So it was great. I, I was happy about that, but you know, you never know when these things are going to happen or when, yeah. when cryptos are going to fail. And, you know, unfortunately a lot of people got caught up in it and, and lose a ton of money and then their, their faith is shaken in, in the industry. But you know, that's just one protocol, right? It's like, uh, it's like one business going out of business. Like that's bound to happen. And that and that's a whole conversation of itself. We're not we don't have to go down and um, down it, but it's like the emotional trading. Like if you're not aware of your emotions and your connection, or like how much uh, worth you gave that specific project, you can get stuck in it and get sucked into sure. it, and and don't sell or you hold on too long or you you don't you don't hold enough. Um, so yeah, definitely be aware of of, that, of those emotions and how they can affect your your actions. Um, yeah, no, this conversation is so great. I love it. Um, you know, the, the crypto talk is is definitely starting to to increase again. Uh, there's definitely been a hyper focus towards the industry, and I'm I'm happy because it's it is a path towards practical steps of abundance, towards practical steps of disconnecting from those systems. So I want to talk a little bit about, um, and we can end here about what we're doing together, so our audience uh, can know what to look forward to. Um, so Brian and I, we've been discussing and creating something, um, either, well, I think we're going to start with like a, a monthly or go or biweekly, something like that, where we'll do a, 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 a session. We'll, we'll sit like this and kind of go through the markets, go through his write-up that he did for that previous month and then discuss like what we're doing, kind of like what we did here for this interview, but more focused on the current events and then what we're moving towards. Um, so I don't know if you want to share something, Brian, about your company and about, you know, um, all the stuff that you have to offer to this and, and what it looks like for you. Yeah. So, uh, so I, I run money for family and friends and, uh, I come out with this monthly letter called the, um, the netizen revolution. So it's a sub stack you can subscribe to for free. I usually post those the first or second week of every month. So the next one will probably come out, uh, probably first week of June and just kind of recapping the month. I, I try to break it up in and try to make it kind of digestible for people because a lot of these concepts are tough. 
And what I would suggest if, is if it's your first time reading the letter, definitely go back and read the earlier letters because I, I do tie in a lot of these topics and I try to thread the needle and just kind of keep the narrative going of what I'm trying to kind of show you guys. Um, but I usually give actionable things to think about. So I give kind of like a short, medium, long-term, too long, didn't read outlook. Uh, so you can kind of just parse through that. And then if you want to get a little nerdier, um, I do like a section with charts and everything where I kind of walk through the, the math behind actually what's going on in the economy. Sometimes it's crypto. Most recently, it's been focused on macro just because that's been driving the markets. And I talk a lot about geopolitics, Russia, Ukraine, US, the you know the US dollar system and all that stuff. But you know, there's a lot of good information in there. And hopefully uh, the people who are already subscribed to it have saved money or even potentially made money from from what, from listening to it. But it's just a way for me to kind of put my thoughts out there um, and just help out how I can. You know, not everyone has the money to invest in a fund. I understand that. But, you know, if you want to follow along and kind of get some insights, you know, be free, be happy, uh, you know, register and, and, and check it out. Yeah. Well, so the, the, the plan here is um, definitely sign up for his Substack. Uh, if you want to find his website, it's uh, netizen, it's N-E-T-I-Z-E-N capital dot N-Y-C. Uh, or you can find him on Instagram. It's uh, netizen capital at netizen capital. Uh, we're, we're working towards creating something that is going to be consistent. That is going to be, um, we're going to be showing up to give you guys, not only the perspective of the crypto market that I'm going to be sharing a little bit of, and, um, my perspective of the mindset around what's currently happening, but also the, on the, you know, I call it real world in real world, uh, markets like stocks, commodities, and the eco, the economies around the world. I mean, you, you go, you go global with this. It's not just the U S economy, right? You go global with these, with these numbers. Yeah. yeah. Like we look at, I look at, you know, China, Europe, uh, Latin America, U S but you know, we trade across all asset classes. So we'll trade stocks. We'll trade, we'll trade commodities. We'll trade volatility. We'll trade crypto. I mean, we, we go across the board. We'll trade bonds also. Um, but yeah, the, the focus of the fund is, I do have a thesis around it. And it's really that we're in the middle of this bursting global sovereign debt crisis. And you know, I'm trying to take advantage of how that unfolds. And so there'll be times where we're allocated to crypto more so than others. I would, I would say right now, it's not the time to own crypto in your portfolio. Um, but you know, there are times that you, know, you, got, you got to pick your spots with the market. And so you, know, you can't force it what to do, but you can, uh, you can, you can be positioned when you're ready. And again, I love this because this is really going to help you, the individual that's listening here, to tap, to put your finger on the pulse of what is happening, this transition between the old systems to these new systems. And like you just mentioned, Brian, in your thesis, uh, that's what's happening. Like we're, we're in this transition to sovereignty and, and it's massive. It's massive, massive. And again, I love what you're doing. You, you've recognized, you've seen the writing on the wall and you're like, I'm going to set myself up for this shift. (laughs) And so if if you guys want to, you know, be on that same page with us and and tap into that same pulse, make sure you guys listen in on these conversations. This episode um, is definitely going to be the the beginning of a lot of videos, a lot of things that we're going to be putting out moving forward uh, so that we can get a community going. And I think that's the biggest, the biggest, the biggest takeaway of everything that's happening is this coming together of, you know, humanity. It's like this, like we're, we're, we're becoming more aware of the control and the, the pressures that are being put around ours, around our lives, not only on this federal level, but also even on the local levels to the point where like, okay, we got to start finding each other and start connect to each other and become stronger together. 
And so uh, if you want to be a part of that community, make sure you guys check it out and be a part of it and uh, move along with us. Brian, thank you, sir. Thank you so much. I love our, this conversation. I, I, I can see how this is going to be amazing show on whatever we come up with because we're still kind of fine tuning that. But um, one last thing, and I always like to ask this question at the end of these interviews. If you're standing in front of millions of people and you have a few sentences to say what you want to leave for humanity, what do you say? Oh man, this is good. Uh, I say that the uh, the most important thing in life is what you believe. Love it. Um. I love it, <laughs> dude. I mean, that's amazing because a lot of people don't people think about that one. A lot yeah. of people don't even know what they believe, right? 100%. A lot of people don't even know. Yeah. So, so I love that. I love that. Believe in something, man. Just believe in something. Yeah. Well, thank you, sir. You're 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 great. Um, I'm sure the audience loved every minute of it, and um, I can't wait to reconnect so that we can get this whole thing going and sharing our wisdom, our knowledge, our discernments, our our research, everything to the people that are listening. Thanks for having me, Otto. Appreciate it. Thank you, and always remember, gamify your abundance. Love you guys. Wow! 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 Wow. Wow. <laughs> I loved that conversation with Brian. If, if you don't, if you don't see the many layers that he allows himself to go into when it comes to global markets, I, I don't know what to tell you. This, this individual has done the work, has put in the time. He has pretty much almost mastered, in my opinion, I say almost maybe just because of his age, but I feel like he knows what he's talking about. He is a master at this topic. And the fact that he became very aware initially in this transition of the systems going from this old centralized system to the new ones, that to me shows the entrepreneurial bone more than anything. That, that shows me that he sees opportunities in the gaps, right? He sees arbitrage. And that's so important in the crypto space. If you can't see arbitrage, if you can't see the opportunities, you're going to get stuck in the technical analysis trading part of it, right? Which is like, all right, well, these, all these variables, blah, 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 and invest and hope to God it goes up. And so crypto is leaning now towards uh, becoming more obviously a, a strategy, uh, a strategy place, <laughs> a place where you strategize, not that you hope and pray that it goes up. So if you want to dive in deeper with Brian and what he's doing uh, with his fund and the Substack that he's writing on a monthly basis, make sure you check out his website, netizencapital.nyc. That's netizen with an N as in Nancy, N-E-T-I-Z-E-N, capital.nyc. Or you find him on Instagram, uh, netizencapital, or his uh, individual account, Brian N. Velez, V-E-L-E-Z. He and I are going to be working on something together, like I mentioned in the episode. Um, and that's going to be a, like I said, bi-weekly or monthly show that will give you a summary of the previous couple of weeks in the markets, global markets, not only, the, not only the crypto markets, what is currently happening during the interview, as well as how do we move forward and how do we prepare for what's to come you know, moving forward. So if you want to have your finger on the pulse, if you want to be educated and start that process of education, 
don't miss this. Don't miss this opportunity to be a part of this community of people that are driving towards the same goals. And if you want to, you know, up level, if you want to go to the next level of education, then check out my course, check out my crypto made easy, 22 plus videos, seven and a half hour course. I mean, that goes really deep into the many, many layers of crypto and really to understand those layers and why they work and how they work. And then if you want to take it a step further, I definitely offer up and, and, and would advise uh, advise you to take my unbank yourself class. That's a four week, five call. I go through the unbanking process from the SWIFT system into the blockchain system, as well as looking at certain passive income options. Like Brian mentioned, it is definitely a time to be um, at least educating yourself on this new system and what it looks like. If not already creating a rule of dollar cost averaging into the space. Okay. Currently, it seems like it's better to be in fiat, to be on the dollar, but that doesn't mean, remember, when you, when you stagnate energy, when you stagnate your finances, you're, you're uh, you know, essentially keeping it open for, for siphoning, for somebody to come in and siphon that, that energy and siphon the money out of you. So just be aware, we're in a transitional time right now, and it's really critical to educate and to become more and more in tune and tap into that pulse so that you're not being left behind in the old systems. All right, everyone. I loved this conversation and I hope you did as well. Make sure you uh, smash the subscribe button for more interviews and more videos. Uh, follow me on Instagram, TikTok, all the good places. And uh, always remember to gamify your abundance. Love you guys.